deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world is opened up as has the Griffin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shriekcast, no longer a Harry Potter reread podcast for lapsed fans. I'm your host, DC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, as as you might be able to tell, I'm a little I'm a little under the weather. That sucks. I'm I am a little I'm a little stuffed up. I'm a little loogy. Mm-hmm. But not COVID, apparently. I've I've tested negative twice, so I think I might have just a little case of con crud going yeah. on. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff going around, but I don't know. When I had COVID, I tested negative like three times. Um mm. and then five or six days in, I just like turned up a like neg or a positive test that happened instantly. Yeah. So yeah. who knows? Who knows what it could be? Yeah, I've taken two so far. I'm gonna take another one tomorrow because that'll be like uh, I think like the uh, or like the five days since initial exposure thing, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I've been up and down. I if this was if this is COVID, I, I you know I gotta say I think um, I think the vaccine has done me pretty good because it wasn't like that bad. It was annoying, but right. like you know <laughs> better than it could have been clearly. Yeah, and if it's not COVID, God, it's just uh, it's so annoying that going to like any any public space is just like well you might just get a nasty cold that's annoying that right. sucks yeah i'm curious what kind of sick person are you are you like the you know sitting up and playing video games sick person or the like fainting couch sick person mm, i used to be i used to be the playing video games and like hanging out while i'm sick person mm-hmm. but i think I mean, so number one, I think I've gotten sick less over the years. Like, when I was in school, I would often get just, like, upset tummy type sickness, right? Like, mm-hmm. like ooh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, not to be graphic, but, I've, ooh, I gotta, I gotta go running and get the barf bag every now and then right. type sick. yeah. These days, when I, if I get sick at all, I tend to have, like, flu type symptoms and i just get like those horrible full body aches the sneezes that like make you feel your entire skeleton for five minutes after them Mm -hmm. so i mostly just try and sleep it off like like just in bed sleeping as much as i can to power through it right um when i had covid i was so feverish that as you can remember, I um, watched all of the Lord of the Rings and decided I liked movies. So as some, right. advi- as some advice, if there's something that maybe you don't like uh, or has never worked for you, you might consider just doing it and seeing if COVID will like oh. make you like it. If it's COVID, that's how you can tell if it's COVID or not. <laughs> Maybe maybe that's how I know that it really isn't COVID because I haven't I haven't been compelled to do anything like that. Like, oh, I want to, I don't know, I want to watch Lost again. Maybe I'll give Lost another shot. <laughs> Actually, hmm, you know what? I have been watching Dexter again recently, just well, as like a, a that, that must be it. It's COVID for sure. 
I've been watching Dexter, and I got to, like, season two, which is the one I always remember immediately hating, because it's the one where he has the evil British girlfriend, and it's really stupid, mm-hmm. and I had, like, a really good time with it, so maybe you're onto something here. That must that must be it, because I, you know, I was like, I love this Frodo, um, this Frodo guy, so I think you're This like, Frodo fellow is really speaking this, to uh, me. Dexter uh, relationship <laughs> in season two. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's God. Maybe that's just an unexplored avenue of of uh, COVID symptoms. Is it, it it rewires something in your brain and makes you start liking different stuff? Mm-hmm. I like this theory. This this seems I think this seems sound. plausible. Yeah. Um, but no, it was a fun thing to go do. I'm just, it's, it's too bad, too bad that it has ended with me sounding like I've got a clothespin on my nose. Right. It was great though. We, we, uh, uh, I, I was there, I was, I was at PAX, I was at a booth, I was showing a game that I worked on, but we had a lot of Shriekcast visitors come by. That's so cool. It was so cute. Um, some, some, a lot of well-wishers coming by. Um, bringing me stuff, stuff to sign. I signed a Diddy Kong. I signed a Charmander. Nice. I signed. I signed a uh, a, a yellow Among Us guy plushie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was very fun. Someone brought me a copy of Elmard to show off, and I of course signed that as well. Wonderful. And I sent your wishes along with that as well. Of course. I, Thank it, you. I, I was like, I wanted to. I was like, I got a FaceTime whiz for this one i was thinking right. but like there was no reception That's there so sad. So I, but yeah no that was that was so delightful so thank you to everyone who who came and and, and said hi someone did stop by uh i was wearing i was wearing a, a like full suit on the second day mm-hmm. with with my with my most business bastardy looking watch and someone came over and was like is one of you zc and i was like yeah that's me and uh, and they went, oh, well, I guess I should have figured because of the watch. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I love that. I have a brand now. It's great. Uh, so that was that's that was delightful. Um, I'm on the mend. Everything's good. Uh, how about you? What have you been up to lately? Not too much, not too much. Um, I joined a um, strings group, though. I'm playing the violin again. That's so cool. That's so swaggy. It is a little swaggy, right? And I've got my watch playing the violin, doing some vibrato. Very cool. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, so I'm back. Um, I played violin for about uh, between 10 and 15 years, and then I quit for 10 years which was very bad for my violin playing. Um, so I started going to uh, private lessons uh, and I'm trying to trying to get back into it, but I was recommended to this like strings group. Um, and it's uh, really super duper fun. I've missed playing with a group so much um, and that's been great, but there is a little bit of a um, tension between me and people who are, like two or three years into their strings playing, because I have probably like decayed to where they are, mm-hmm. right? If that makes sense. But I have all this like experience um, that <laughs> I I I'm cursed. I'm cursed with the knowledge of what it's like to sound good. 
<laughs> that sounds so mean, but it's it is how I feel. No, I, I get what you mean. If 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 there there's there's a uh oh, like you never fully lose it, you know. Like mm-hmm. I I've picked up trumpet before mm-hmm. after like a decade of never playing it, and I'm like, oh, I remember seventy percent of this. Right. Um, and like I I would not call myself a trumpet player anymore, but like if I was in trumpet intro to trumpet, I would be in an awkward spot, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that. Do you, when you pick it up again, do you feel like, I, I guess it is like that where you're 70% there, but you're, it's like all your muscle memory is there, but it's all yes. like a little bit wrong. Yeah. The muscle it, for me, it's the muscle memory is there. And I could like, I could, um, God, I, if, if I, I have a trumpet somewhere in the garage, I would go and get, but I, I it's gonna take too long. Like I could, I could go and get a trumpet right now and bust out like stuff that I played a bunch in, like marching band, you know, right. or pep band. Um, I could, I could grab one right now and play like the Fire Emblem theme because I was obsessed with learning that as a kid. Right. But like, I couldn't tell you what those notes were. Um, I couldn't sight read anything you put in front of me. Uh, I couldn't, you know, like I, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the fundamentals anymore. I would just have like the, what the body remembers basically. Interesting. I think that you and I are like both have music brains, but like completely different ones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like different. Did, how- I, I just, I'm like, I've got the fundamentals, but everything is like slightly, um, like off Mm -hmm, right does mm -hmm. that make i mean that might just be like a specific like violin thing right because it's like a stringed instrument but there's no fretboards so it's like you have the muscle memory and the fundamentals and know what the notes are and all that stuff but your hand is just not quite in the right spot yeah sounds fucking terrible (laughs) right (laughs) because if it's like a little bit off it's a lot off Right, because like the degrees to which you can be pressing something wrong on a violin are way more than a trumpet, where it has three buttons. Oh sure. Like I've got three valves, whereas like on a violin, like you've got a bow and your hand on it that like uh, is several centimeters in in the either direction, it's going to sound different, right? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you're really good that, at like hearing notes and knowing what they are, mm-hmm. kind of, or like transcribing music. And I couldn't do that in a million years. Yeah, I can. I can. Like, if I hear a tune, I could sit down in front of a piano roll and make it. Like, just I. I, I have. I have that brain for sure. Mm-hmm. But I. I don't have. Um, like it's weird. I, I I feel like I have good pitch, but I don't know much about what the pitch is without diving into like 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 if I have a piano in front of me and I hear a song, um, I'll be able to go like, oh, that's this note, and I'll be, but I'll have to find the note on the piano first, right? Mm. Like. Yeah, see, I don't, we have the opposite brain because I could never find that note in a million years, but I can sight read music and have mm, the math brain to read the music. We've got to combine our our music brains here, right? Yeah, yeah. 
That's fascinating. Well, that, I mean, that's so exciting, though. That's so cool to to go back to an old skill like that and yeah, and pick it up. Um, what are you playing? Is there any, anything fun that you've been been playing? Anything that you're looking forward to playing? Um, well, in the little group that I have, my favorite thing that we're playing is the Brandenburg Concerto. Um, that's right. I think it's just an arrangement of it. Like, I don't think. I mean, obviously, they are all arrangements of it, but it's like a little bit of a. Uh, middle school version of it mm. um, is how I would describe it. Um, and everyone in the group hates it, but that's my favorite one. <laughs> which which bit of the brand is it? Is it the do 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 Is it that one? Yep, that's the one. Yeah, that's 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 the good shit right there. Yeah, it sure is. Um, no, that's fun. I you you were saying that. I, and, and like I remember this from high school as well that like everyone wanted to play Star like, Wars. Mo- yeah, everyone wants to play Star Wars, which is fun. I love movie soundtracks, but like I definitely am like a huge fucking nerd, and I'm like, ooh, I love I love Bach and Mozart and 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 everything. I want to play some classical music. Yeah, my my favorite thing is obviously more contemporary, but my favorite thing that I played in high school was Shostakovich's Eighth mm. in C Minor. Yeah, I think, and that was because I love drama. So that was a like high drama quartet that I did. That was that was really really fun. Um, we, and that was with like an advanced um, quartet group that I was in. And then we like performed first, and then we would sit back down with like the bigger orchestra and play like the Pirates of the Caribbean music. And so like everyone, Pirates of the Caribbean was the crowd pleaser versus my like. I want everyone to listen to me play Shostakovich. Oh, I'm a nerd. I love, I, I love that stuff. Do, are, so do you, you, you mentioned you like the melodrama. Are you a big fan of like romantics and moderns and stuff like, like the sort of later classical yes, stuff? Yes, I like am. Super I am. melodramatic. I love, I love drama. Yes. Yes. You, you, you're in the, uh, uh, cha- chamber music while you're scheming type, type shit. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Peak that's evil so much gentleman fun. for sure. Yes, evil gentleman music, absolutely. Yeah, God, that's so cool. That's mm-hmm. I, 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 I can't wait to to like uh, uh, hear some pro- progress and stuff on this and hear how this goes. Are you think you're going to stick with the group? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think cool. it'll be fun. I might invite you to my recital if I decide they're good enough. <laughs> I would love to hear that. We'll that see. We'll so see how fun. it goes. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear the the middle school version of the Brandenburg Concerto. Exactly. I want to. I want to. I want to go. I want to nod knowingly when 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 you all go boo doo boo doo boo but a little little but a little boo doo boo doo. That's that's a fucking banger right there. When that dropped, when that dropped in 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 box time, people were going crazy. That was that was crazy. Absolutely. Oh, what fun! God. Um. Did you ever play any other instruments or was it just violin? Mm, I dabbled a little bit in the other like orchestra instruments. Like I have technically mm. played the viola. Um, I've played a little bit of cello, not very much. Um, I've played a little bit of guitar. Um, yeah. What else have you I have played? You have a piano, right? Yeah. Yes, I do. I do play yeah. a little bit of um, what I would describe as beginner intermediate piano. <laughs> <laughs> Cello was always my dream um, mm-hmm. as a kid because I uh, 
I also really liked drama and also the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. You yeah, know, for sure. There's lots of loud, loud cello arrangements in that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, my school didn't have um, orchestra, so so Wait, we, we really? only had yeah, we only had um, a band. Like like oh. we had woodwinds and we had uh, brass and we had percussion, and that was it. Um, Sad. Yeah, no strings. So it it was like really fun for like obviously it was like a great marching band setup. Um mm-hmm. uh, and we got it we did a lot of fun like pep band type stuff. We did so many pop song covers. Speaking of like songs I could go and like play right now. I could play uh Hollaback Girl, I could play uh <laughs> uh Evil Woman, I could play Tequila. That's like you know, that's a that's a classic pep band one. I could play uh, Seven Nation Army. You know all all the all the stadium hits. Uh, for for band stuff. Nice. No no strings, unfortunately. Um, now now I have strings on my computer. Um, that's, right. That's, that's yeah, how I true. compensate. I I just sit sit there and like try and make the computer sound like a string quartet instead. That's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, that's so much fun. That's so that's so exciting. I'm Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm so excited for you to be to be playing the violin. Mm-hmm. Um, um well, we've got uh a lot to cover this week actually. Just thinking about our chapters. Um mm-hmm. do you want to get into them? Yeah, let's do it. Um we read chapters 3 and 4 this week. Um I will I will jump right in with chapter 3. Um uh, last time on the Hunger Games, uh, Katniss had her uh, meeting with President Snow, and she's uh, shaken from that meeting at the top of Chapter 3. Uh, but she assures her mom that it was just a routine visit uh, that he makes to all the winners of the Hunger Games. Uh, Katniss be- begins thinking of who she could possibly confide in about President Snow's threats and the require- the requirements that he has of her. She rules everyone out kind of immediately, including her family, Peta, Gale, and Cinna which leaves uh, one person that she can tell, and that's Haymitch. Uh, Katniss takes a bath and has a brief memory about her dad taking her to a lake in the woods. It was a place that she had never shared with anyone else. Uh, Katniss's stylists arrive at her house and get her all ready to go on the victory tour. While they are styling her, they mention that this next Hunger Games is the Quarter Quell, which is how every four years there is a Hunger Games that is even crazier than usual. One year they even did twice (laughs) as many tributes. Uh, once she's all waxed, plucked, plucked, and styled, Katniss goes downstairs to find Cinna. Uh, she then explains to the reader that all the winning tributes are expected to cultivate a special talent that they can show off on TV. Peta chose art, Katniss chose fashion, and Cinna has been helping her uh, fake that she's doing it uh, at all. Uh, Effie is here, and it's almost time to go uh, on the victory tour. Someone is interviewing Prim for TV, and in that moment, Katniss has a flashback to Rue dying. Uh, Katniss and Peta have their televised reunion outside where they pretend to be in love and have a big kiss in the snow. Before they leave, Katniss's mom gives her the Mockingjay pin. 
They're finally on the train. After everyone has gone to bed, Katniss tracks down Haymitch, uh, his rooms, and knocks on the door. She signals to him that she needs to talk to him in secret, and they go outside. She tells Haymitch everything. He doesn't have any good news, only that Katniss hasn't fully understood the consequences of what Snow was saying. Uh, because they would be expected to participate as mentors in every Hunger Games uh, from now on, Peeta and Katniss would have to keep up the act of being in love forever. Chapter 4. Katniss is back in her rooms and uh, ruminates on her fate with Peeta. Uh, they would have to get married. Would they have to have kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the next morning, they have breakfast with Effie, and then Katniss has to be styled once again for her little presentation once they arrive in District 11, which is the first stop on their tour. Katniss is in a foul mood, and people begin to notice. When there is a delay and Effie gets upset, Katniss snaps at her and storms off. Peta is the one who goes after her, uh, to her surprise, and he offers her an apology for how he acted after the games when he found out she was faking their relationship. They agree to be friends again. He then offers to show her his paintings. They go to see the paintings and Katniss says they're horrible. They are all wonderfully done, but they are horrific scenes from their Hunger Games. They're almost to District 11. They look out the windows. The weather is different. It is warmer and not snowing. Katniss observes that there are workers in the fields. Uh, the buildings are more dilapidated than the ones in District 12's uh, The Seam. It also appears to be uh, very heavily policed. Um, Cinna gets Katniss dressed, and now it's time for the ceremony. Peta has put together a speech for the both of them. Katniss and Peta are put on the stage to receive plaques. In the crowd, Katniss spots Thresh's family and Rue's family. Uh, Peta gives his speech, and it's very sweet. Um, at the end, uh, he pledges one-twelfth of their Hunger Games winnings every year to the families of District 11, uh, which was probably not approved of ahead of time. Katniss is so moved by seeing Rue's family and gives an impromptu speech that is uh, also very moving. Uh, someone in the crowd whistles uh, the like Mockingjay whistle that Rue did, um, and the whole crowd gives uh, her a solemn three-finger salute. Uh, oops, Katniss accidentally incited rebellion and defiance, the opposite of what President Snow wanted her to do. As they are ushered off stage, they see peacekeepers execute the man who whistled. And that's the end of our chapters. This was juicy. Was juicy. There, There's a lot going on here that is kind of like putting in overtime, correcting a lot of the stuff that we complained about in the first book, and also like doubling down on some of the stuff we liked about it. And mm -hmm. I'm really, really enjoying this for the most part. There's like, a, there's some like misses in, in these chapters, but like overall, I was really delighted by this. Yeah, I had a great time with these chapters. Um, do you want to go chronological here or take it as a whole uh, this time? I think we could go either way. So let's start chronological. And if we jump around, that's fine, yeah. too. Okay. Um, I I think the most striking thing here that I'm, I'm really enjoying with Katniss, because most of this um, first chapter, a, 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 a significant chunk of it, is Katniss in full-on in her own head thinking about the plot mode mm -hmm. and that was some of the most boring stuff in the previous book mm -hmm. and i think that this is such an improvement because it's doing the same thing here where she's feeling out all of like the possible things that could happen in this story but it feels like she crucially now has an element of fallibility that she didn't have before where like 
and, and Hamish later on alludes to this more directly, but like she doesn't actually get how fucked she is here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like really cool. I think it's it's a great little character trait that she you know she's able to she you know she's like kind of trying to do the like seeing all possibilities here like like what what's my path out of this and like the fact that she thinks there's a path out of this at all and and that she'll like do if she does what president snow says she'll be off the hook is so funny and it just makes me think of like anytime someone in a movie makes a deal with like a gangster or something Right. right yeah like oh of course this italian mob guy is gonna keep his word if I do, if I do this thing for him, right? It's like, no, he never does. And, and, and President Snow is such a like mob boss type figure in this story already. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really, really enjoyed being in Katniss's head finally. Um, and, and I, I just think that that was like maybe one of the most striking improvements that this book has made so far. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. I'm. I'm. God. I'm so. I'm so congested. Um, yeah. It, it's. It's. It's just so much more. More satisfying to like read her being eighty percent correct than a hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and another aspect of this too that I, I. I really found interesting. Kind of bookending these two chapters is, um, uh when she's thinking about like, well, who can I tell this to? And her, uh, her like conclusion is, well, nobody, I have to protect everyone from this. Right. Um, she will like never, uh, never attempt to like seek any form of like help or solidarity from anyone. Um, and, of course, like, why would she? Because whenever she does, stuff like the end of the second chapter that we read happens in front of her, right? I, so it's just, it, there's, it's very neat and very, very good characterization that's difficult to do, uh, 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 but, like, important to do when you're, like, just doing, like, close first-person observational character reading stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you mention her kind of... Uh, trying to decide who to tell and coming to the conclusion of the answer is no one except it's, it's Hamish. I feel like um, a character deciding that they can't tell their secret to is such a knife's edge of either like the most frustrating thing you've ever read or the most exciting. And I think this Mm -hmm. falls on the right side of things. Um, The little like, a release valve of the fact that she did get to tell one person, Hamish, makes it not frustrating. And then it just like builds that drama of everyone else in her life, not knowing her secret um, in a yeah. really fun way. Yeah. Hamish is such a fun choice for her to tell as well, because like Hamish does outline the, like the grim reality for her, but mm-hmm. like, that's all he can do. All he can do is sort of, describe the real situation for her um and like like you say act like a release valve but like Hamish can't do anything for her right like mm-hmm. he is not he is not a figure of comfort or like and and like he for various reasons like is just like not he is not the guy who's going to solve her problem and and i you know an interesting choice for her it, it it's sort of like a 
almost like a self-destructive choice for her to like, you know, like if I'm going to tell one person, I'm just going to tell the guy who's going to like make me feel worse <laughs> about everything. Right. Because you could cu- you could come up with a reason why she should tell any of those other people. Um, yeah. And <laughs> basically none for Hamish, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the funniest one to me is and, and, and not in the sense that I, I think that it's it's a bad piece of writing. I think that that, that, her, that Katniss's logic is perfect for her character. But when she thinks about telling Gail and she's like, oh, well, Gail would just get, you know, Gail would start an uprising because he'd be so <laughs> mad about it. Right. And she's just like, oh, I can't tell Gail. He's too handsome. He smokes too good. Uh, he's he's too awesome. I can't tell him because like yeah, because because the last thing she wants to do is rock the boat, and the person who probably could actually tell at least tell her something closer to what she wants to hear, she f- feels obligated to protect from because he's too he's too cool, which is really funny. <laughs> Gail rocks. Gail's so awesome. Yeah, and and her mom would have been an interesting choice too because we get this. Very bittersweet moment where where Katniss thinks about how she's forgiven her mom for for all the stuff that she was sort of like resenting about her in the previous book. Um, but I don't know. It, it doesn't really mention anything about her actually telling her mom that, does it? Mm-mm. It like that's just purely a like thing that she thinks to herself, and so the fact that like she doesn't reach out to her mom like about this makes me wonder how much she really has forgiven her mom or like how much she does trust her mom. Um, just a very, a very a kind of sad moment. Like, like there, there's little glimpses of like their repairing relationship and that like she, and the way Katniss phrases it is so funny too. Cause she's like saying like, Oh yeah, I let my mom draw baths for me and cook for me now. Right. Which is like you know, obviously you know her mom is is more than willing to do that, but 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 to to think about the relationship that way of like oh our relationship is improving, I let my mom do stuff for me, is very again just kind of bittersweet. Like they yeah. they have a very odd relationship still. Yeah, and there's this kind of element of it where it's like she thinks to herself like yeah. I, I have forgiven her, but um, she doesn't like trust her enough to actually have that conversation. So it's like, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's it's great character work. I I it, it's 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 interesting how so far this book feels just as heightened and kind of cartoony as the previous one did, just in like setting and like big plot movement stuff. Mm-hmm. But it feels like there are already so many more layers to the characters. Uh, motivations and like, um, p- care like Katniss is no longer just saying exactly what she feels at all times. It feels a lot more like there's there are lines to read between with her finally, um, which is just so so much fun and so refreshing. Yeah. When the stylists arrive too, there's a little bit of an improvement there too. I think. Mm-hmm. It's still not great. There's still some. I I, I still think that like, do, do do you do you would you agree that there's still like this weird, like equating of of like pop culture and government going on here? Yeah, I don't know. I I still feel like the book is doing that thing where it's sort of like equating, um, like excess with like 
degenerate behavior yeah. in the way that it's like extreme body modification stuff. And I yeah. just am like still like that sort of sucks. It, it, um, it sucks. And it's just not <laughs> true. It, it's just like so like the idea that like the government is the one making people dress like drag queens in this world is like so like that's like you could go on we could go on YouTube right now and find one million guy like right wing guys asserting that like today. Yes. <laughs> it's it's so out of step with like the rest of this book's politics to assert. It's 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 it feels very out of touch. Mm-hmm. I, I do I think an interesting like Cap- I nearly said Captain Snow. President Snow doesn't look like that. Right. Doesn't dress like that. And I, I almost wonder if this is like the off ramp for that sort of uncomfortable like equivocation of like Katniss just assumes that these are people with the same ideals and actually they're not. That that would be like my hope. There's still people that love the Hunger Games, though, which seems fucked up to me. I think it's <laughs> fucked up to watch the child murdering TV show. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the other thing. They, this this chapter really triples down on the reality TV stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a really fun bit where Katniss talks about how the sound team was like recording voiceover of her that they're gonna like put over a montage of her showing the dresses that she's supposedly making yeah which like i can picture that they're gonna like put the like ukulele music under that (laughs) she's gonna she's gonna do like a reality show talking head over like that that was a really fun image but again yeah it does make for a very funny comparison Mm -hmm. i i i like i like that stuff a lot but it, it does if you think about it too hard the metaphor does get a little silly i think if I were making a Hunger Games movie, I would have so much of the runtime be like shot like a reality TV show. Oh my god, that would be so good. All of the stuff that's in the Capitol should be mockumentary style. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, that'd be so cool. That would be so much fun to just lean yeah. into it. They they should have done it. Um, you know the old, the famous old story about the like the War of the Worlds radio play that scared the fuck out of everyone. Mm-hmm. They they should have done that with the Hunger Games. Absolutely. Like like here's just here's just a documentary about this fucking crazy thing that happened. <laughs> this battle royale that's that's happening right now. That would be so cool. Ah uh, yeah, that rocks. <laughs> Oh, well, we learn about the super Hunger Games during the stylus scene, which is my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah, talk a little bit about the quell. (laughs) It's the quarter quell, which happens, what, every four years or something, where the Hunger Games are just, like, extra... It's extra Hunger Games. It's the it's the super Hunger Games that happen. And one year, one year they had twice as many tributes. Can you believe that? Holy fuck. Hunger Games XL. Yeah. This is so funny. This is like when, I don't know, this is, there's a there's an event on the map. This is when there's the Travis Scott concert in Fortnite. They, they've got a crazy one this week. I don't know how you can escalate the Hunger Games. Like, it's, it's, it's fully escalated already. <laughs> it's already, like, the most evil it can be. How, how do you top 
resurrected dead tributes into werewolves. Like, what? where is there to go from there? <laughs> there were fucking werewolves in the last book, yeah. Like a, a, like a UFO could, like, appear over the Hunger Games arena at this point, and I'd be like, I mean, I guess, sure. There's little green <laughs> men now. Okay, sure. Like, yeah, so, like, but I make... This is one of those things where it's, like, it's really crazy, it's really goofy, I have no idea how it's going to be pulled off, but I'm really excited for the book to show me what what that means. What if they go, like, the other direction? Like, I know that it's fucked up that it's kids, right? Like, that's part of the, like, fucked up part, but what if yeah. it is an all-stars Hunger Games and they get all the, like, old, old winners, like, they throw oh, Hamish in there? Oh, yeah, they fight against a bunch of, like, middle-aged people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a bunch of, like, 30 to 50-something uh, Hunger Games contestants in there. They're all traumatized. They're all having flashbacks while they're in there. They're all they're all going like, ooh, my back. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. That would be like my ass in the Hunger Games. I'd like, I'd like walk 50, 50 yards. And be like, I'm good. I'm done. I'm going to take a nap. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I would like that. It would just be really funny if it was like all the younger, more live contestants, just like obliterating a bunch of adults. Kind of <laughs> cool. That's like, that's like when they get like esports stars at the ripe old age of like 22 have having to f- fight a like 17 year old right. or something yeah. and they just get completely creamed. Yeah. Cause they're, they're 25 and they're platinum four now. <laughs> they're, ba- they're basically retired at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think my favorite thing about the quarter quell thing is that, and, and, like, to be clear, this isn't really, like, a criticism, because this is something that, like, all all sequels kind of need to wrestle with, especially if it's a sequel that, like, if, if you're a writer who doesn't plan everything out to the letter ahead of time. Um, but I, I just love what a funny, like, oh, by the way, this thing is really important. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I forgot to tell you, you know, in this, in this, in this completely first person, I mean, like, I guess, I guess Katniss sort of has a habit of this, of the, of the, like, oh, by the way, I saw a hovercraft shoot a guy with a spear gun one time type (laughs) shit. So like, oh, I forgot to tell you, there's some, every four years they do like the extra evil Hunger Games spicy edition. Like, sure. Okay. Why not? You just got to roll with that kind of thing. Is it once every four years or once every 25 years? Oh, did I? Oh, 25 years. I guess that that makes it a little less like, why didn't you mention I, I, it before? I still don't know how you escalate the Hunger Games. I don't. Yeah, I don't get that part. Yeah, they were like shooting fireballs at her out of cannons. There was a guy who was eating people that they dropped an avalanche on. Apparently, like, how much crazier can it get, really? Right. But I'm I'm excited to find out. I'm not against it, but no. but it's going to it's going to have to be something really special, I think. Yeah. That's my hope. That's my hope. Mhm. Quarter quell. Oh, something around this this moment that I thought was quite strange. 
Katniss mentions that she's been talking with Cinna on the phone a lot. <laughs> yes, she has. What a weird... Okay, so I... My... We know something is up with Cinna. Whether it's, like, something up evil or something up secretly good, I'm still, like, unsure about. But, like, who is letting... Who is letting that happen? That seems like such a crazy security issue if you're the capital. Right. Like those there's no way those phone conversations aren't like tapped. That that I, I guess that's that that's the thing. Is like is Cinna calling her evil and he's like, you know, hey Katniss, um tell me about all of your like your desires to like have Gale overthrow the capital. Or is Cinna good and trying to like like nudge Katniss towards rebellion and he's really stupid and he's gonna die because he's been like having like openly rebellious <laughs> phone call. Like I feel like there's no good outcome of this. I wish Katniss's attitude towards Cinna made any sense to me. He just sort of like slipped into this like best friend role without ever really doing anything. Yeah, he didn't do anything, and also he's, like, dressing her up to go get killed. Yeah. Which puts her, yeah, it puts him in, like, bad territory to me by default. Yeah, I, 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 I like, secretly evil is, is what I think would make the most sense at this point, but, like, secretly good, I just he must have like the craziest plan ever if he's good, right? Like, like I am going. Okay, so step one, I identify someone uh, out of the tributes this year who I think might uh, might be a good candidate for some sort of like like uprising mascot or something. Step two, I make her a really good dress. <laughs> Step three, question mark. Step four, <laughs> uh, uh, I talk with her on the phone a bunch. Uh, I don't know if there was a plan B, if like she didn't win. or It's just the, the path to him being a good guy that makes any sense. I just am. I, I, I don't see that yet. Yeah. Our, our, is, is our default not to be that not supposed to be that like anyone complicit in the Hunger Games is evil? Because that's like. I feel like they yeah, are. <laughs> that that is the like problem with this metaphor. I think is that like if you're like you know I love a good banality of evil story. Of course, you could you could write a story about someone in a really minor pencil pushing aspect of the government and go like, well, like your job was to like process guys going to Afghanistan or something, right? Mm -hmm. Jobs that are still, like, unquestionably evil, but, like, the kind of job that, like, people have in normal society mm -hmm. that, like, are often just, like, not thought about in that way outside of, like, activism, basically. Mm -hmm. Whereas once the metaphor is literally, like, your job is to make the children going on the murder television show look cool. <laughs> and and like like to be clear, if if the if the story is that like everyone involved in this in any aspect is evil, I'm cool with that. If you want to make a story about how like 
yeah, if you so much as like delivered a box of paper clips to Enron, you're complicit in in the in the horrible shit. Then like I'm 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 not against exploring that view in a story, but like if he is if there is a possibility that he's good, <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> how do we get there? <laughs> that I'm very confused about still. Mm-hmm. And it does make me lean towards he's probably evil and it's like the story is that Cadmus is getting, is is naive and thinks that he's on her side when really he's just like the most twisted guy out of everyone because he like his job is literally like the aesthetics of the murder. Right. It doesn't get much more depraved than that, right? Like right. he is like the most shameless guy in this whole whole enterprise, truly. Mm-hmm. I think he's gonna be good. And I think it's gonna be really unsatisfying. Yeah, I really don't want him to be good, but it's like I the, the thing honestly the thing that makes me most suspicious about him being actually good is that this this phone call note feels so similar to the bit where Katniss p- picks out the sunglasses and is like oh those are weird anyway moving on right, right. In, the, yeah. in the last book yeah, it the phone call thing is super weird. Like, oh yeah, we've been talking on the phone all the time. Like, of course the phones are tapped, and of course he's behind it, right? Yeah, I'm 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 very curious to see where that goes. That just feels like such an obvious flag of like this will matter later type thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. Uh, God, what's next? What what else is in this in this chapter? Um, well, she goes downstairs and sees Cinna and gets dressed in her puffy coat and, um, earmuffs or whatever, and then they have their big, uh, reunion kiss, uh, in the snow. Yeah, this is more reality TV camera stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think my main takeaway from this is exactly the same as what you were saying earlier, is that I want the movies to just be this. I yeah. want... I want the fake TV show out uh, out of the crazy fucked up murder show. Yeah, I want the R-rated Hunger Games movie that's like super, super weird and is like half reality TV show, half like gore fest. Yeah, that would rock. Yeah, yeah, that's oh God, that would be so cool. Mm. That's 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 you just make it look all you make it look like crazy, like handheld camera, like GoPro shit and all the and all the like fight scenes that would be so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Oh, I, w- I want a really fucking messed up Hunger Games. Yeah. It would be so cool. It'd be so much fun. Yeah, I don't know. Like I I guess this mostly feeds into like where Peta's at in in these chapters. Mm-hmm. Um but for that I I think it's worth waiting until we get into like um his like apology and his paintings and stuff, right? Like, right. No, I, I guess I guess on to the next thing, I guess. Yeah, because we already kind of touched on um, her conversation with Haymitch, um, which is how the first chapter wraps up. And then we're right into the um, uh, second one where Katniss is kind of thinking about thinking about her fate with PETA and how they have to get married and have kids. And will the kids be chosen for the Hunger Games? Yeah, this stuff is cool. I... Um... I I like I I like I I like how 
she processes a little bit more how much trouble she's in after Hamish gives her the rundown. But again, I, I do think that this is all really interesting. Like, it, this is this is a much clearer window into like her as a character than the, what I think is more realistically going to happen. Because because her whole thing about like oh there's just going to be like endless generations of of suffering if I have kids with PETA and they're just going to like keep punishing my, <laughs> they're going to like punish the, the Everdeen bloodline forever. Mm-hmm. Avoiding thinking about the bleakest, most realistic option by thinking about a, a more complicated bleak outcome is very, very fun. I think. I liked this scene because I loved the introduction of the idea that the reaping could be rigged. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, and it kind of, she puts it on Gail a little bit. Like, I think he, she's like, Gail would think it's rigged or thinks that it's rigged or something like that. And I'm like, that's cool. Uh, that's one of those things I almost hope never gets answered. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that I would love. Like, when you're when you're creating, like, a fun, like, dark sci-fi world like that, having that be the kind of conversation that people have, like, conspiratorially in the world itself I think is, like, super valuable. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool if someone, like, near her got chosen for the, like, Super Hunger Games and we just never found out if it was, if it was rigged or if it was just, like, bad luck? Yeah, like if, uh, if Prim got in or something. Right, or yeah, Gale. something like that. So many, so many evil things that, that happen where you're like, was this planned or was this just the system working the way it was always built to type shit, right? right? Like. There's a, there's a really interesting line here, too, when she's thinking about all this, where the conclusion that she comes to is that too many people's fates depend on my giving a good show, mm-hmm. which is such a good... Like, I wouldn't necessarily say that Katniss has, like, a god complex or anything, mm-hmm. but once again, it's such a great example of, like, how she just refuses to let anyone in on what she's thinking and feeling or, or like could use any sort of support with. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love this, this idea that she's like, okay, well I have, I have this fucking crazy problem that might go all the way to the top of the government. So I've just got to like do what they told me to do really good. (laughs) Great writing. So it speaks so, so much to her character of just like, she really does not understand the idea of like sharing any burden. Right. She's so much more horrible in this book so far <laughs> or like pitiable. Like, like you know, she, she's, she has absolutely has like reason to be this jaded, but like, she is just really, really make constantly making the wrong decisions out of some sense of like, misguided honor and and her her whole like hating hatred of like owing people stuff just like really gets in her own way here so bad Mm -hmm. another another chapter beginning with her just in her own head for a, a lot of pages that i thought was fantastic yeah and then we get the most blessed stuff which is a ton of effie content up here i love effie she's so good it's so nice to have effie back it's it's delightful to have her worrying about being exactly the character we were just talking about. Like your your job is to do all the paperwork for the the evil murder game, but I love her. 
Yeah. Yeah. She's like a wedding planner, but for the Hunger Games. It's so good. I I love the bit where when when um when there's like a slight delay on the train, she like there there's a the way Katniss describes it is that Effie starts working out how this one hour bump in the schedule will affect us for the rest of our lives, which is <laughs> So much fun. There's there's genuinely some really funny stuff in this chapter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another crack at the stylists where, where Katniss is like... Because this is all just sort of like slice of life on the train for a bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bit where Katniss is like, oh yeah, the stylists never get up at noon unless it's a national emergency like my leg hair. Which is like... <laughs> There's there's some really really good one-liners in here. Yeah. Um. And 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 the catty. The, do, do you notice Katniss focusing on on Snow having lip fillers again? Yes, she's obsessed with it. <laughs> she's so obsessed with President Snow maybe having lip fillers. She does not. She is so awesome. I love how how <laughs> catty she is. But but I guess like the the major thing here. Um, in this first half of this chapter, in the midst of all this train stuff, is Peta's apology to Katniss about his behavior and them sort of, like, making a pact to, like, work together a little closer in future. What did you make of this whole scene? Um, so I feel like I shouldn't like it because I love drama, and so it feels like it diffuses the drama by them just, like, making up, like, normal, like, healthy, healthy relationship stuff. But I actually mm-hmm. found it very endearing, and I am coming around to PETA a little bit. PETA honestly put in some work this chapter. Mm-hmm. Not just, like, to... Because you're right, there's a little bit of, like, oh, well, he's just, like, becoming well-adjusted, which is sort of boring. But I do think that it puts them in a more interesting place, as a as a pair for this for this uh like upcoming story and i think too maybe in another story i might see this as a sort of disappointing like like i think the closest scene i can draw that's been on this show that we've discussed is how much we enjoyed the pet drama between ron and hermione in book 3 of harry potter mhm and how that just ultimately literally resolved because they were like, well, we put that aside because we're your friend, Harry. Right. Which was so stupid. And, and like, th- this could have felt like that. But I think PETA was just in such dire straits as a character that, like, <laughs> getting him here to the point where I'm, like, willing to have him in the book at all and sort of, like, hit the reset button with Katniss is, like, a huge help, I think. Yeah, I I will also say that I think the thing that saves this is that it does, like, he diffuses their conflict, right? But he's apologizing for something that is the way he reacted to what Katniss was doing, and what he doesn't know is that she's still doing it, right? Like, like, yeah. like he knows that she's st- like was acting right. And that they have to continue to act. But at the end of the day, Katniss has a huge secret and a huge thing that she's not telling him. So really like he's apologizing, but maybe he wouldn't if he knew that she was like, not that he, she's still acting. Right. That's true. I hadn't thought of it that way. 
But you're right. This could lead to a like more catastrophic blow up down the road if it turns. If he apologizes for this and he sort of like dusts his hands off and he's like, "Phew, I'm glad that's over," right? And yeah, that's a really good observation. I hadn't thought of that. Hmm. Um, I think also it, it helps that this comes paired with some new interesting character traits for him moving forward, which are. I, I do think that the exchange where they talk about how they've never actually asked each other's favorite colors is like fun and kind of like just a, like a little awkward moment between them. But like mm-hmm. this being paired with the painting talent stuff and Katniss immediately ki- being kind of mean to him both out loud and in her own head make, make it feel like less of a like cheap reset button thing. Hmm. I think the, the the line that really sticks out to me is that, like after this big apology that she like kind of nominally accepts her first reaction to it is like I, I highlighted this line where she's like it would have been nice if he had come to come to me with this sooner right which is like really really funny like he he just took this very mature stance with her and came and apologized and you know he he was it was obvious that she was hurting and he came and was like, Hey, I'm sorry for, you know, any part. And she's just like, well, that's okay. I guess it took him too long though. Which is like <laughs> <laughs> really, really funny. So like an indication that maybe this isn't airtight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, um, but also it's a great scene where he, where he takes her into the, his car and, and um, his train compartment and, shows her these paintings and like I don't think her reaction is like unreasonable but it's such a funny thing to to say I hate them when asked what she thinks of them right cuz like I get it I get why she would but like it's it's so funny to like have this big apology scene and have them sort of like be beyond speaking terms again and then he shows her this thing that he's like yeah this really helps me process the experience of being in the hunger camps and she's like well i hate them (laughs) i mean it's so funny from both of them right because he doesn't warn her at all and it's just like hey like look (laughs) at the visions of our like shared trauma (laughs) (laughs) do you like this Remember when they resurrected Glimmer into this horrible werewolf uh, yeah. creature? Do you like this? There's not really an indication of like what style the paintings are in, but I like to imagine that these are in that like Fran- the Francis Bacon paintings of the guys screaming in the cubes. Have you seen those? <laughs> yeah, I that's kind of what I envision here. These like horribly detailed but sort of fuzzy paintings because one of them is described as being in first person which is like fucking crazy (laughs) and so i just imagine he has these fucking horrific like gore paintings that he's showing her being like hey check these out um (laughs) (laughs) but it's still very funny of her to just be like well that sucks i hate it (laughs) very funny from both of them yeah, yeah. Which makes it's, it a very endearing scene, like the fact that they are both doing something completely absurd. Yeah, it, it it it's it's something that really tampers the like the apology feeling too mature for these characters by having them both do something like 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 immature is maybe the wrong word, but just like like uh 
inconsiderate on both their parts, right? Like, but not even unreasonably. Just like, you know, he wants to show his art off. It helps him. And, and, and she wants to tell him that this is kind of traumatic for her. But they're both just sort of like, hey, check this out. <laughs> Being very blunt. Very, like, first yeah. time doing this type stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, like, kind of a comedy scene in a way. Like, it, it really yeah. subverts a stock scene of characters making up and then, like, the romantic lead be like, hey, let me show you something. And then he, like, takes takes the um, takes her back to his, like, studio and shows her, like, a beautiful portrait of her or <laughs> something or some beautiful landscapes or whatever his, like, special thing is. Like, it's a very, like, Hallmark movie scene. And to have him, like, take her back and be like, look at these gore paintings I do is very funny. <laughs> it's it's like it's like the bit in, a, in a, any movie or TV show where the guy is like, I actually wrote you a song to apologize or whatever. And then he just starts playing, like, the most intense, harsh noise you've ever heard. <laughs> right. Um, which is, like, <laughs> it's, it's a great little detail. It's such a wonderful scene. Um, I, I think, too, something that is really interesting about this scene, um, is that for as, like, as, 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 um, ill-advised as it was to just show her these without warning her, I do think it's really interesting that he actually did take up a talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is teaching himself to paint, and he's, like, working through, like, his experience in the Hunger Games through art, and it's clearly working for him. And Katniss's talent, as far as we know so far, is having Cinna do stuff for her and lying. <laughs> Which rocks. says a lot about both of them. Yeah. Katniss rocks. Yeah. No, I, I would I would go the Katniss route here, 100%. If someone else could do this for me, hell yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's, 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 it's just, it just speaks to, like, Katniss, uh, Katniss, like, both refuses to, like, seek out help when she needs it earnestly, but also, like, doesn't really have a good, like, mental inventory of, like, the help people are giving her mm -hmm. like she's so flip about the the like the dress the the the, desi the dress designing stuff she's just like yeah i'm having cinna do it like whatever um, <laughs> um and doesn't really count that like i i'm so interested in her when when something crosses over into her feeling like she owes the person something back um because it sounds like, you know, setting aside that he's doing, like, the most evil job in the world for his day job, it sounds like Sinna is doing a lot of work for her here. Mm -hmm. But she's not like, oh, I feel so bad. I feel, so, you know, I owe Sinna so much for, like, doing the whole talent thing for me. She's just like, yeah, he's doing it for me. Awesome. Like, <laughs> so for, like, as noble as she tries to seem about, like, owing people stuff, it just, it's very funny that she clearly has a maybe slightly um, convenient definition of, of, of when someone's helping her. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. The, the, this stuff was great. I, I, I think this was the highlight of these chapters for me. Yeah. Um, especially because I think the next bit is sort of the low light. Yeah. Uh Oh yeah. It's, so we're going to District 11, um, and uh, 
we we get some like I, I guess the, the most interesting thing to get it out of the way first is did you notice how much talk about the scale of District Eleven there was here? Mm-hmm. Like, like completely aside from like the 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 worst stuff here, which is the sort of like racial politics of it all. The fact that we now have. I think that this was maybe trying to solve the problem slash criticism of the last book of like, how big is district 12? I don't really understand, which I I've looked up and like, we are not alone in that. I think mm. um, people have been asking about like how big district 12 is for a while. Um, and, and Katniss sort of having these observations of like, okay, so all those people I saw on TV at the reaping in district 11 couldn't possibly have been everyone. Because right. it's so huge. On the one hand, I appreciate that we're getting more realistic district sizes now. On the other hand, that makes District 12 even funnier. <laughs> district 12 is a video game village, and every other district is like a real country, is like a very, very funny problem to have for this book. Yeah, but at the same time, um, all the districts seem to have one mayor. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like a big city. Yeah. I yeah that that stuff is still very strange, but I I, I took this as at least an attempt to sort of tackle that, mm -hmm. but very odd still. But yeah, the District Eleven stuff is so weird because like it still just can't escape this weird weird vortex it's stuck in, where like if what the rest of the story has been constantly telling us is true, and I and and this is also like straight from interviews about like, the world of Pan Am, that it's supposed to be, like, the ultimate, like, end point of, like, the melting pot of America. And also, like, nobody... The most important thing, I think, is that nobody remembers American history in this world. Mm -hmm. But District 11 is still the world's most on-the-nose Jim Crow-era slavery metaphor. Right. Slavery has existed throughout human history, but there's only one place where... The identifying aspect has been, well, people are working in the fields in straw hats, and the owners are taking tea on the veranda on a building with white columns. Right. This series is already such a cartoon, so, like, of course, its commentary on slavery, like, would be as well. But it makes it feel so flippant and disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And if we're meant to believe that American history has been forgotten, but here we are with these very American signifiers. It just makes them feel like cartoon signifiers. It just doesn't feel like it's appropriate imagery for a story like this. I don't know. I, I've been trying to crack this nut for a while, and I just don't... It just doesn't feel good, and it doesn't feel right. For sure. I think that where I sort of like get stuck on it is that like clearly Pan Am is not a post-racial America, right? By the imagery that it is like telling us about. But like Katniss has no observations about it other than to be like the houses are really dilapidated here. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. There's a there is a paper that I read that I thought was very interesting called Starving for Diversity, Ideological Implications of Race Representation in the Hunger Games. And I think that takes a much more qualified look at this than I can really give it. But there's just, there's just something that just doesn't feel respectful about this. Yeah, I think, I think making it not, like, 
turning it into a cartoon being disrespectful is a good way to put my like kind of discomfort with it. If you asked Susan Collins about this, she'd say like, well, it's about how slavery is bad. Yeah. But like that, I don't know. Like that's the same thing that like, it's, it's the same sort of stuff about like the racial stereotypes in like the star Wars prequels <laughs> or like, I, I think the, the the one that I always think of for star Wars specifically is, is, is George Lucas saying that like, Oh yeah. Endor is supposed to be Vietnam. And which mm-hmm. is like, on the one hand, it's kind of cool that his his you know if 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 the empire is America, then it's them getting owned by uh, by the Ewoks. But also, you are still making the Vietnamese little teddy bear guys who right, right. worship a golden robot. So like, not the best foot forward on that. So I, I think that this falls into a similar category where I'm like. Yeah, of course, I read this and go, like, well, Susan Collins is saying that slavery is bad and, like, still exists in this world, but I don't know if we needed to have all of the characters giving a speech on a plantation house doorstep. Right. There is at least, I think, some interesting stuff here in the difference between PETA's speech to the crowd and Katniss's speech to the crowd and the consequences of both. Mm-hmm. PETA is very... He's being very generous, he's being very kind, and his promise to what what is it like uh one month uh one month's income to the families of Rue and Thresh. I thought it was just the families of District Eleven, which the scale of that doesn't make any sense. I think it's just the tributes. Let me okay. double check. Um Yes, for each of the tributes families oh, from District okay. Eleven to receive one month of our winnings. Um, and I think that that's important because there, there, I think that, that if there's anything that we can salvage from this scene, it's that PETA is very well-meaning, but the extent of his charity here is doing like literally capital C modern charity, which is like <laughs> sending some money to someone. And in this case, like one family, right? Which is of mm-hmm. course like, a generous thing to do, but it it doesn't really tip the scale of the situation that the entire district is in, right? It like it'll it'll help one small group of people. It'll help the direct recipients of this aid, but it doesn't change any of the problems in the society that they live in. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit in here about how like you know that was a line that he hadn't written in the card because he was worried that it wouldn't be approved or whatever. I think we see that this comes under like acceptable displays of charity in, in the Capitol because nobody gets shot over that promise. Right. Right. Uh huh. Whereas Katniss says something that gets the entire crowd going and immediately the peacekeepers shoot someone in front of the crowd to get them to stop. Mm hmm. And I think that that is that if if there's one thing that can be taken away from this sort of iffy imagery is that that is a very smart observation about the difference between like regime accepted acts of individual charity versus making a huge crowd, an entire class of people realize that they like have power together. Right. Yeah. But it is sort of weighed down by the fact that the imagery here sucks ass. Like, really, yes. really bad. Yeah. 
it's uh it's rough i but i do at least like the 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 two forms of of charity on display here yes the most exciting thing here i think of course is katniss starts getting very worried about what president snow is going to think about all this <laughs> i hope he shows up I hope, yeah, number one, I hope that the next chapter begins with him being behind her and being like, well, well, well. <laughs> Hello, Katniss. You thought, thought you could say something cool to the crowd, did you? <laughs> I, have a, I have a silly little prediction here. Mm-hmm. I think that she is going to be like shitting bricks, terrified that she's already fucked this up, but she's going to like talk to him. And he's going to think that it was awesome. He's going to think that, like, it was cool that what she did um, resulted in a guy getting killed in front of everyone to show them what what happens when, like, acts of, like, true rebellion are taken, right? Hell yes. And I, I, so I I think that that's going to, like, completely, like, mindfuck her. Like, she, like, like... Like what? What? What better way to get her to stop doing that than to be like, "That was awesome. Way to get that guy killed." Right. Totally. Uh, that that's kind of my prediction on this. Um, I like that a lot. Do Do you have any like s- snow thoughts, predictions here? Like, what's going to happen? I don't think so. I think that's a really good one, though. I I that would be my hope. My 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 prediction is it's going to be like, like he is just going to completely throw her for a loop here that that would be really cool mm-hmm. anything else from this chapter that we missed here i don't think so yeah i i really liked this pair of chapters m- mostly i think that there's a there's a large asterisk on the second chapter yeah but i i did i i do think that the story is moving in a really interesting direction and the characters are in really great spots but fuck all of that we've got something way more important to do yeah, we do. Ready to open some packs? Hell yes. Okay. I have three Hunger Games trading card packs here for us to crack open. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Pack number one. What have we got here? We have The Hunger Games, one of the poster cards. I think we already have that one. We have Katniss and Gale. We have President Snow. Did we have oh. that one before? Katniss and Gale, I don't think we did. Um, this is number Who plays 20. plays Gale in the movie? I don't know. I don't recognize this guy. Uh, is he handsome? He's, he's, yeah. I, I would say that if, if, if you would like shown me a picture of this guy and asked me what character he played, I would have probably said Gale. Cool. Um, it seems on the money. We've got another President Snow, but not like the character. It's it's weird. Would you remember how last week we got the checklist card? Yeah. And there's a bunch of these that are just characters, but they are not character cards, which are like the one that we got of Ga- of uh, Peta that says may or may not be strategy. Yeah, I want more so of those. Yeah, there's one of those in here for. President Snow, supposedly. So I want to get that. Yeah. Um, President Snow. Ooh, I think we have a... Oh, no, we've already gotten this. Another poster card. Another Caesar Flickerman. 
And we did get a, <laughs> excuse me, we did get a character card here, yes. but it's Hamish Abernathy. Okay. The only surviving Hunger Games victor from District 12, Hamish guides, teaches, and tries to prepare Katniss and Peeta for the arena. That's so true. Guides, teaches, and tries. Okay. Pack number two. I want I want the snow card so badly. That is my that is my chase rare right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have a scene card of Peta and Katniss. Ooh, this looks like um a oh, this is so sad. Very PG thirteen version of the bit where she fixes his nasty leg up. Ugh. And it's just like I don't know, it just looks like his pants are a little red on his knee. Mm-hmm. Um Ooh, a character card for Clove. I'm excited to hear about her character. Before I read this, please tell me everything you remember about Clove. Is she the one that does the knife throwing? Prolific knife thrower and gets her head smashed in. Clove was the career tribute for District... Ooh, maybe. Holy shit. You are right on the money. <laughs> I would not have gotten that. I'm a Clove super fan. Clove, Kato's equally skilled District 2 counterpart. Wow. You you fucking nailed that. Wow. Clove is a master knife thrower who envies <laughs> Katniss's high training score. Holy shit. I'm good. You're good at this. Holy moly. You got that in one. Okay, and then we have, ooh, ooh, a new poster card. We have a new poster card, so we will be able Wonderful. to uh, uh, add that to the pile. We have a Thresh scene card. Ooh, and another character card. Exciting. Mrs. Everdeen. Great. Mrs. Everdeen is a healer by trade and the mother of Katniss and Prim. After her husband died in a mine collapse, she never fully recovered, leaving Katniss to provide for their family. I thought it was a mine explosion. Yeah, come on. It's a, it, he blew up. He got exploded. <laughs> that is a really important detail, I think. He blowed the fuck up in the mine. It's way more exciting that way. <laughs> um, and then another Katniss and Gale card of them looking wistfully into each other's eyes. Very cool. All right. Final pack. All right. Another scene card of Katniss Everdeen. Um, Whoa. Hold on. Okay. I have a card for the cornucopia here. Mm -hmm. This looks like dog shit. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sending you a picture. This is what the cornucopia looks like in the movie. Hold on. We're not watching the movie until until the strike is done, obviously, but I, I want to just send you this. This is what the fucking cornucopia looks like? What the fuck is that? <laughs> what is that? What that's the fuck the, is that shit? That's the fucking hangar that the Star Fox uh, ships <laughs> fly out of in the Super Nintendo game. <laughs> that's like a really annoying piece of public art that turns out was like money laundering or something. <laughs> They like they like knock down a skate park to build this. Yeah. It's just in the middle of a fucking field. I told you it was a field. This Remember is I was like it's a soccer field. Yeah, 
This this looks like this looks like something out of a student film. This is nuts. This is like where did the movie budget go? What's the that's the cornucopia? <laughs> that just looks like outside. That just looks like outside my damn house. And there's like a that's like a stealth bomber crashed in the park next to me. That's crazy. That is <laughs> that is wild. Okay. Huh. I was expecting like a big ornate gold thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another character card here though. We've got Primrose Everdeen. Mm-hmm. Prim is Katniss's younger sister. Prim loves all living creatures and is a good healer like her mother. Chosen at the reaping for the 74th Hunger Games, Katniss volunteers in her place in order to save her. That's true. Yep. Uh, we have Foxface here, not a character card. Um, is okay. I'm sort of like I'm sometimes like actor face blind. Is this uh, is this Sophie Turner? Is this Miss M- Sophie Turner from the news right now? I don't uh, have any idea who that is. So, uh, no, she was okay. No, it's just someone who sort of looks like. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, Sophie Turner. Okay, no, okay. This is people fan casting. My cast.io strikes again. Mm-hmm. Fan casting Sophie Turner as Foxface in the Hunger Games trilogy. Okay. Um, uh, ooh, another character card. Marvel. Marvel. Now, what would you what tell me about Marvel? Tell me all about Marvel. I don't even know who the fuck Marvel is. Marvel, Marvel master of the spear and who killed uh Rue was the hanger on with the career tributes and he was from District 1. That is correct. Intellectual yet ruthless, Marvel is an expert spear thrower who has lived a life of luxury in District 1. And in this picture of him that they have chosen for the card, it looks like you have just taken the last pack of Mountain Dew game fuel off the shelf in front of him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then the last card is just a scene card of Rue. Okay. So there you go. Pretty good. Yeah. How kind am I so good, good about knowing the um the other <laughs> tributes? Where did I remember, where did I pick that up? You remember all of the minor characters from the Hunger Games? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's so. A really impressive skill. Thank you. Um. Uh, you want to do one more? You want to open one more? Yeah, yeah, I do. I've got so many of these. Hold on. A bonus fourth one. Can't say we never do anything nice for the audience here. Okay. Hamish Abernathy sitting in a big-ass chair. Nice. Oh, here we go. You know it. You love it. The son of a baker enforced the fight in the Hunger Games with Katniss Everdeen, the female <laughs> District 12 tribute. PETA confesses to love the Katniss before the games, which may or may not be strategy. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, then two Katniss Everdeen, three, three Katniss Everdeen scene wow. cards in a row. And then the final card 
is a character card for Kato. Would you mind giving me the the Kato rundown? Oh gosh, Kato District Two, um, a real meathead. He gets um, killed by a <laughs> resurrected werewolf. <laughs> I wish that it said that on here. A career tribute from District Two. Kato is ruthless and unsparing, and determined to win the seventy fourth Hunger Games. And by this picture, I think he might be the guy who took the last pack of game fuel from Marvel. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we take it to the close? Yeah. All right. Our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Here, thanks to them, as always, for letting us use that as our theme song. You can find them on Bandcamp, and you can find us at patreon.com slash shriekcast. And Liz, what will we be reading next time? We'll be reading Catching Fire chapters five and six. All right, I'm so excited. I know this will not keep me away. I'm having so much fun with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, happy Hunger Games. Happy Hunger Games. It's just a cat in disguise.